0: You guys, I am really excited about today's chat. So I have Corianne Napolitano here with me today. She's the founder of the Day Spa and Boutique Vixen Collection based out of Seattle, So she has an incredibly successful business and I just love her approach to buying. She has two locations, one of which she opened over 20 years ago and she actually owns the whole damn building, which is just goals right there, right? (laughs) And she also has an e-commerce shop and a super cute Volkswagen brand bus, the Foxy Vixen bus, which also is goals. (laughs) I just love her. I'm obsessed with her. So we chat in this conversation about mistakes that she's had, that she's turned into learnings. I mean, over 20 years, imagine all the ups and downs she's had, but she's been able to continue to grow her business, open up additional locations, like just really a wealth of knowledge. So we talked about that. We talked about having a really clear vision for your business and using that kind of as the parameters as you are buying and building a brand and making decisions. And we talked about how she builds collections and just takes emotions out of the buying process. So it's a great conversation. So pull up a seat and let's dig in. Hey friend, quick question for you. Are you feeling stuck with how to get your brand to stand out on FAIR? I'm asking you because as a buyer myself, I can tell you that there are just so many brands out there vying for the attention of these buyers. But I know that your brand has something so special and it needs to be seen. I put together a private podcast for you that goes deeper into what buyers are really looking for on the FAIR platform and how you can stand out from the crowd to grow your wholesale business and really land those dream buyers. So If this resonates with you, head to the link in the show notes for instant access. Hi, Corianne. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you for joining me on the podcast. I can't wait to chat with you. Thanks,
1: Kristen. I'm glad to be here. It's
0: going to be so fun. So, we met at Ultimate Product Party. In Nashville and we had a really fun chat at the party on the last night. And I was like, I need to have you on the podcast because you have such a cool story and you're so successful and I just love your energy. So I'm excited to dive in. So can you share a little bit about your background and your business now and kind of how you got to where you are?
1: Yeah, I, um, I actually started my business to support the fact that I was an esthetician at the time I went to beauty school at age 30 had a background in accounting and, um, business management. And I used to run this little private school and I really hated it. And I got (laughs) over the fact that my family was really judgy about me and the whole beauty industry thing and just bit the bullet and went to school. Um, you know, because I, I'm very, I'm a caretaker. So did that in. uh, 2000. And then by 2002, I'd been working for some people in in, uh, the spa industry, and I broke my neck. And so that was really a huge catalyst for, you know, if you ever want to get smacked upside the head of a, have a near-death experience and, and it'll get you real clear, real fast about what your life's purpose is. So I wanted to open a store in, in my neighborhood and have that support my skincare business. And when I did the place that I leased, the gentleman said, oh, we really want to have retail. And I said, you know, fingers crossed lying behind my back here. Um, oh yeah, I'm going to have retail because I had skincare stuff. So that was retail. So I became a retailer really quickly. I didn't know where the gift center was in Seattle. And someone came in and was like, oh, you've got some cute stuff in here. Did you get it at the gift center? It's like the gift center don't know about that place. <laughs> so that then that I found the gift center and that's where I found all kinds of cool makers and brands and started curating this little collection. And within two years, I expanded into the space next door. So then I occupied the whole building and I could really go nuts with the clothing and, and accessories that um, kind of represent what I'm doing even today.
0: That's ama- what a cool story. I think it's so, I love hearing people's path to getting to where they are because most people don't just out the gate open up a shop you know there's some story that like got you to where you decided to open it up and you kind of it sounds like you kind of fell into being a buyer and and, uh, curating that product like what was that process like when you didn't have a background with inventory I mean and just understanding how to pull together we
1: started out we're really humbly. So, so I think that what was, what was neat for me was my, my location was just amazing. Couldn't even be better. And, it, and it's still, we're still in the same place 20 years later. It's next to the, post you office. really? Yeah. I bought the building uh, four years ago. <laughs> That's so amazing. Next to the post office on the main drag, like really super visible, great storefront. So, um, but when I, when I started out, I, I was just buying, um, when I got into the clothing, I was buying accessories and things that were related to spa, but I, I was always trying to find that cute little unique, something that has a certain je ne sais quoi, which is still my buying, um, strategy today. Um, but back then I was going to that gift center and, and they had, a vendor that was selling their samples of clothing samples and so there were kind of smalls and mediums and not a lot of large size but partial size runs things like that and th- and so i bought these um cute embroidered blouses hung them in the window and it, they would just sell so that's when I, I love shopping, so my background, I babysat starting at age 11 and just spent all my money at Nordstrom Rack like, carefully choosing yeah. things. So I, I've been, had a long history of that and sewing my own clothing. Yeah. My grandmother taught me to sew when I was really young. So I, I just I guess I have an eye for it. I used to thrift too and replace buttons on things and make them be unique. So I just had a good eye and a good sense and learned right away to kind of like find that, that sweet spot of moderately priced goods that had that certain gensequa. And I said would say to people, it's like the tide, you guys, I bring it in and it goes out and it's constant. And that's another hallmark that we that I still, you know, have today is that we have a quick turn on our on our inventory and it constantly changes. So there is something new going out on, on the floor all the time.
0: So you've kind of trained your customer to know that if yeah. they love it, they have to get it. It's just yep. like and kind the of new that revolving people, door. Yep,
1: the new people find yeah. out really quickly. I had a conversation with somebody yeah. in the store yesterday, and she said, "Oh, I missed out on this leather jacket. Are you ever going to get them back again?" I said, "No, oh. no." Nope. So, do you ever? Do you ever to this
0: day? Like if you have a bestseller or something like flies yes. off the shelves, do you bring it yep. back? Yeah, yep. you do.
1: Yep, okay. And I carry Z Supply Basics, which is a great brand if y'all don't know it. Um, so I have a lot of basics that are repeats. But then if, if something sells out immediately, what's cool is I have a lot of my vendors and a lot of them are makers and some of them are major brands, but I've made friends with, the, um, with their reps. And so I can just take a photo of the tag and say, can I get more of these? via text. Yeah. And they'll say yes or no. And I'd be standing there in real time with the customer and say, sorry, that that's all sold out or, you know, we we're we're, we're able to get it, but they're going to recut it in three weeks. So.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So how do you manage for the things that you have as like the basics that you're constantly buying back into? versus those fashion items that are in and out how do you manage your inventory separately for those because you oh, have two locations yeah right yeah, and that, you have your e shop <laughs> so like ha, talk to me about like having all the different locations
1: and an e shop and how you manage your inventory between the two i'm curious so i do uh, shopify was a game changer and i i um started using them three years ago and then the next step, and that was still when I just have one store because I only opened my second store 13 months ago. So um, when when I got. On the Shopify platform, my mind was blown. I love reports. I can I've got custom reports, so I can pull up and see where things are zero out um, as as far as what's in stock. So that's one way. We I have constant communication. And my phone is always in my hand, even when I'm on vacation, much to my husband's chagrin. But with Shopify, yeah. I can I can literally see in real time the the orders that come in. And I can pop into inventory and see that we're down to two pieces of that. Um, I might it might not have had a photo before, and my vendor sends me a photo via email. I can upload it into Shopify. It's amazing. It's such a powerful platform. So that mm-hmm. we we took it took almost two years to build out an e site that actually works um we, we hired somebody for ten thousand dollars to do the first website and they were in new york and came highly recommended but we just didn't jive Who was talked very fast it was a whole new language for me that you know now yeah. I, it's old hat but it was like you know learning greek uh, at the time yeah Yeah. So, so I, I hired one of my things is always hire people that are smarter than you. So I found someone through the boutique hub that uh, built websites. So she scrapped the $10,000 website and she knew that I had spent a lot of money on it. And so she kind of gave me a deal about half of that to rebuild that site. And then the rubber really hit the road when um, I asked her and her team in Alaska to put all of our inventory in. So whenever I buy something from Mm. anybody, first thing I ask for is photos and any sort of descriptions. And then we can load those into the back and they optimize it for SEO. They write all the things because I was sitting here I mean, we would look at, um, oh, okay, well, this is a book. That's easy. We know the title. We can name it. It is this book. But when you get a shirt or a, or a uh-huh. dress, we would go, oh, let's call that one the Megan. No, we already called that top the Megan. Okay, well, now I we have to write a description for it. Well, so <laughs> so those girls took that burden away from us, and they they will name them um they they'll do all the SEO, which is so important for a website. That's amazing. But, yeah. And That's now amazing. we have organic, you know, when someone's Googling something because of that mm-hmm. SEO, that those start to pop. I was doing that myself. From I would, uh, somebody gave me a tip that I should look on Amazon for the buzzwords. Like if I was going to be selling a white blouse, I would go on to Amazon and I would find the buzzy words that they were using for SEO. Do you know mm-hmm. how much time that yep. took? Yeah.
0: <sighs> so time-consuming and a lot of i mean that's the thing so many people were doing all the things ourselves and you as you grow you get that luxury of being able to bring in somebody yeah. to do it for and you but in the
1: beginning you have to do the grunt work and you, you do. have to do that but also you you can you can do the scary thing by but yeah. if you're clear, investing in that, like, I didn't, I didn't, yep. I didn't really have 10,000 extra dollars sitting around, but we just came out of the yeah. pandemic and I didn't have a website that I just, I had a website,
0: but I wasn't selling anything on it. So, you know, yeah. that, cause that you was, just had, you can't just put something up. It's like, I no. think it's that SEO is one of those things that I think is so foundational in A retail e commerce business that whether you are driving local SEO or you're driving, you know, national or global (laughs) traffic to your site, it's really important because that's a needle mover. Mm -hmm. And it's something that maybe isn't this like flashy, immediate. Result in sales, but it can it can make a really big difference long term. And it's interesting that you say you ask the brands or you know the makers that you're buying from for that information up front. Because anytime I'm coaching somebody, I talk to them about like how important it is to actually have descriptions that could be put directly onto a brand site. And it's important. Sixteen to, inches
1: long, the necklace. Yeah, the details. filled, filled uh, lobster clasp. Whatever mm-hmm. its particular thing is, that it's made yeah. from, you know, Czechoslovakian faceted glass, whatever it, it is, is, yeah, it needs to be there yeah. for the people like me buying it.
0: Yeah. It makes it so much easier because if you don't have the time to write a good description, that product's probably not going to sell for you. And then in turn, that's not great for the maker or the brand because you're not going to go back and rebuy from
1: them because it's not no. going to be a good well, seller. And here's, here's another great example, Kristen. There, uh, My friend Chrissy, who you met at the Up Conference, mm-hmm. she owns Cheeky Boom. So she started selling in my stores and... Um, I was asking her, honey, I need photos. Jewelry, it's really hard for me to get a photo of. And that was back when I was still doing my own photography and, and that um, mm-hmm. for the for the images for the website. So she had someone who did uh, fashion fo- photography for me take the photos when she was there. I had her piggyback onto the scale already being there and the photos were horrible. And this is a great photographer. Like her work with us was stellar, but she didn't know product photography and they were, they were, or they couldn't even use them. Chrissy couldn't use them. Ugh. And then about a year or so ago, she hired someone that was a branding expert and they did the photos for her, for her to build her website. Oh my gosh, Kristen, game changer. All of a sudden, yeah. They're beautiful. So, so going back to like piggybacking onto what we were talking about, sometimes you just have to, you I can take photos. I take great photos. I know how to edit them and do that kind of stuff. Sometimes you just have to bite the bullet, pay the money, take out the loan to put build that foundation well so that you can grow and scale.
0: Yeah, because there are certain things that really move the needle. And I think oftentimes people want to spend the money on the flashy thing that maybe seems more exciting. And when actu- in actuality, they want to spend it on, you should be spending it on photography. That's if you're trying to grow wholesale or e-commerce, it builds trust. Mm-hmm. It makes it easier for a brand to buy from you because they can use that imagery. It all is,
1: it's such a foundational thing. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that I was talking to Chrissy about is stop stop allocating those funds to, to make more, things. You've got a great base of, of jewelry and it's beautiful and we just need to knock this out of the park. So it, it, it needs um beautiful photography to, to highlight it. And then you can go and, and dump some more money into creation. But <laughs> but and that's hard for it's hard for us that are do-it-yourselfers, that know enough to be dangerous. We think we can do it all. And it's, it is the recipe for burnout and disaster. And, and you won't be able to grow your company because I know you think you can. I still think I can do it all. Yeah. And I can't.
0: Yeah. yeah. I literally just had a conversation about this because I still think it, despite knowing it, I still think it. I'm constantly having to remind myself that I am one human. Mm -hmm. I can't do all the things all the time without burning myself out or I will constantly be in this cycle. So it's such a good, it's such a good lesson. I'd love to talk to you about just your buying process in general and how you approach a new collection and what that process looks like for you. Because I think every buyer has a little bit of a different process that feels really comfortable and fun for them. So I'd love to know what that looks like for you.
1: So I love to go to in-person markets. I feel like the Las Vegas one called Magic is completely overwhelming. I do go to it usually once a year, so that those those shows happen in February and in August. And I was working with a brand, just to go back to the maker's kind of slant of, of this podcast, um, I met someone that did beautiful jewelry, and I had found her in a showroom, and she was being represented. I, I traveled to Dallas to these permanent showrooms. And then they have, um, they have several times a year bigger shows that, would, that bring in not just the permanent showrooms, but temporaries as well. So I had, I had met this gal's brand at an event like that in a permanent showroom. So that was killer. And then I was invited to meet the maker. At Magic. And I went and I just because we were selling so much of her jewelry and we're just, I couldn't wait to meet her. It was like meeting a celebrity. And she did not (laughs) disappoint. She's so cool. She's from Florida, Melania Clara. She only sells direct to consumer now. But at the time, she, and I think this is why, she rented a booth at Magic and it was, I think she said $25,000. And I mean, just think of that. You have to make that back to begin with. Anyway that's, that's, I got, I got to know her and her brand, um, well from going to that show because I got to actually meet her. And, um, so I do my buying at, at magic at least once a year. And then I travel to Los Angeles a lot, um, to do my more immediate buying. So that's at least four times a year I go, I will pick up, um, jewelry, scarves, cash and carry goods, accessories, things like hats, um, And sometimes shoes at those shows and then what i'm doing is i'm expanding on the foundation that i set at magic at the big show and from my bigger buys that that those reps come to me and visit me personally and then i round things out with local makers that find me or I find them. I might see them. I'm always, my wheels are always turning. So I was down in Portland and I found some beautiful jewelry and I asked the people about it, bought a piece of it myself, and then did my research, found her and brought her into the store. Same thing happened in San Francisco. I have a California jewelry designer now. And uh, yeah, I, I find him when I'm out and about. And and a lot of times, like I said, people find me.
0: Yeah. I think that that's I love how layered it is and I think it's that's what was always so interesting to me I love talking to people about how they build their collection because everybody has their process but the one consistent or constant thing, I would say, is that everybody has that foundation that you start with. It's like, these are the things that you know. Do you have to protect these bestsellers, whether you're just buying back in or you're updating a bestseller, you have that foundation, and then you just kind of layer and layer and layer, and it just builds and kind of shapes itself. Do you start at the very beginning of your process before you go to magic? Do you come up with a concept for what you want your floor set to look like? Or do you let it happen kind of organically when you go to those shows and start to like get inspired?
1: Well, for me personally, I used to have a little... um too much inspiration when I would go to job and I, I would have tend- that 's most people yeah, and I would have a tendency to overbuy and boy lo- was loving mini skirts at one time, print you know elastic waist drop waist mini skirts, for example, so there were like eight different types of elastic waist drop waist mini skirts in there in prints fine, whatever. But um, now I'm, I'm much more of a scientist, a retail scientist about how I um, do my buying, have an open to buy plan. But that okay. starts with pr- part of the foundation of the house are um, three major brands that I carry. So for example, yesterday, um, and we're in mid to late July now, I'm buying for things that will be delivered in January, February, March, and April of next year already so billabong i've already bought dex clothing i've already bought and z supply so i know my color palettes and i know mm-hmm. the prints that i've got coming in for them so they they really influence because those are my top brands what the floor set's going to look like and then mm-hmm. i add in okay well so we've got a lot of pink or pink's really strong but not everybody loves to wear pink so i'll be buying some pink jewelry to go back with that. Mm-hmm. So, so you don't walk in the store and the whole store is just this profusion of pink, but that you see elements of it and you start to understand because when people come in stores, you know, they, they don't, they want to help dressing. So they want to come yeah. in and see that, okay, I'm getting what you're putting out here.
0: You've got. Yeah, they, they see your point of view.
1: Yeah, and the, and they kind of see what the trends are. Oh, okay. So we've got bag dresses now. You know these loose, flowy dresses, mm-hmm. or we've gotten away completely from all this loungewear, and and we're we're back to wearing jackets and structured clothing again.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think that it's it's so interesting, or interesting isn't the right word, but it's important to know that there are different stages of the buying process. And so it's like you start with that foundation six, seven months out from the collection, and then you layer it on and you're not trying to do it all at one time. Versus I think some people are like, I have to do one and done, get my collection put together so I can put it to bed. But it's always a revolving door because you have to see Okay. On the did things that, that are miss- maybe the trend, did it work? Yeah. And you can start, you have so much between now and then like the beauty of not being a corporate retail entity mm-hmm. <laughs> is that we can read results and change our on order. We can chase into new fashion. Do you leave money and you're open to buy Yes, p- to be always. able
1: to chase into things? Yeah. Yes. Always. Totally. Yeah. I've, um. That's where going to Los Angeles. And I'll, I'll even take a video of the store because I'll think, you know, toward the front, I need some more prints. I've got a lot of black and white. And a lot of times when I do those big buys, I've got a lot of black and white and beige and, you know, a a pop of gray. (laughs)
0: Those are the things that sell the best, but they can leave your store really boring. if You only have that. (laughs) Yeah.
1: When I was going through a divorce, a guy came in and I was like, oh my gosh, I was like, um, he said, Oh, I feel like I'm in a black and white movie. <laughs> kind and you're of, like, is reflection oh, okay. of is a okay, This is reflecting
0: my mood. <laughs> yeah, I better go down and buy some bright, cheerful prints for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> I
1: look like the funeral store.
0: <laughs> so, well, how do you, okay, if you are using it open to buy and, you know, that, that sets your top line you know, financial budget, how do you have guidelines or guardrails for yourself when you start to feel really excited about the miniskirt or the black and white prints? Like how do you have those checks and balances in your, on the financial side of your business so you don't go crazy?
1: Well, so I always remember my uh, roots, which was to buy low and sell higher. Mm -hmm. So I, when I, when I had gotten in trouble in the past. And, and I mean, it's a pretty steep learning curve. Once you screw up, like that, um, you don't, you don't do it again. So I'm well past that, that, you know, getting all excited about the, the things that I'm seeing. I still get excited, but what I do is when I'm at a show, uh, I will take a picture of something and then I start to see it over and over again. So let's say it's a print maxi dress that has a high neck loving that one but ooh that price was not consistent with my um, my criteria for how I do my buying so if i'm buying it for 50 dollars i'm going to sell it for 120 119 something like that so if if i'm finding those then in the 30 dollar range that that fits better and i'm i'm looking at quality and and all that so i just i take I take myself out of that excitement even though I'm I'm still super excited and I and I can't stop talking about what I found you know that's going to be in the store but I have to, I have to say, and usually it happens when I bring my staff with me. They, because they haven't been doing this for twenty years, they beg, please, can we get? Oh, oh my god, I totally love this one. I won't take friends that do that anymore because then I'm standing there and they're saying they're distracting me. Can we just get? If you just get one pack and then you buy one and then I buy one, then you only have four left to to sell. They, they're negative influences. No, they, I but, can't do it. So yeah, you have to, you have to, I still get super excited about things, but I slow my roll. I do my homework. I loop that, those go into the other booths and, and take a peek at what I can see. Cause I want, it, it needs to not be completely fast fashion garbage, but. Yeah, things, you have to take your emotion out of it. Yeah, it's really, really important to. Yeah, like a scientist. Mm-hmm. You have to, yeah. You have to know your numbers. You have to be able to look at something and say, am I going to really sell that for $119? I don't think yeah. that, it's too trendy. People aren't going to buy that at $119. Same thing with yeah. jewelry and and mm-hmm. things. I find beautiful jewelry, but I think, God, I don't think. And then what's worst case scenario? I bought that for $65. Am I even going to sell it at half off for for mm-hmm. $65? Mm-hmm. I don't know that I could. Yeah, so I have
0: to pack. Yeah, the numbers, the numbers always are telling you what you yeah. should follow, and that having that like brand guideline is really important. I think it's when you go into shows being able to have that ability to edit on the spot. And I personally have never in my life. Well, it's actually not true. Maybe two times have I actually bought at a show. I think. I was so trained with my corporate retail background that we never did that. Everything was, um, like a discovery. So I was just there to discover brands, build my buys, take it back and then present it to the CEO and the SVPs. And then, then we'd place the buys months later. So I kind of take that approach now, but now I am my own CEO and I'm shopping and, and getting my ideas. And then I place mm-hmm. my buys later. And I think it's important to know that like some buyers place on the spot, some don't. And even if you do like to place on the spot, you could just be going through that edit phase Mm -hmm. as you're going from booth to booth or from showroom to showroom, and just trying to like make the right financial decisions. And you sometimes have to just kind of step away and look at your numbers. Yeah. And (laughs) when I
1: when I go back to the room at night, and I do, I don't go out and you know, have a bunch of cocktails. I go back Mm -hmm. and because I, I usually have decisions to make, um, and analyze what I've got. And I don't, and I don't like to screw with my vendors either by leaving paper. Mm -hmm. And then you do have a like 48 hour cancellation period, but once it's past that, I don't call and say, yeah, you know, I found some other stuff and I'm going to cancel this order. It's just bad form. Yeah, I build, I I totally agree. Yeah. I have good relationships with that's why I say I can get somebody on speed dial and say, can we get this again? Yeah. yeah. And then they trust your word yeah. and
0: nothing, nothing hurt my soul more than when I was having to reach out to small brands and say, we have to reduce our buy. We have to cancel mm-hmm. our buy because 99% of the time it was a reflection of what was happening in the business and it wasn't a, so now as my own buyer for my own brand, mm-hmm. I never do that. I just figure it out because yep. it's just yep. it's a shitty thing to do. It is. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it, and it, it is. It is all business, but you understand the value of
1: relationships and but I know I know a maker that this is years ago. She was telling me about that she got picked up by Costco and she hired, she bought more equipment. She yeah, started producing, time. she made children's clothing and really bespoke cool unique children's clothing and they just ruined her. They, they ended up, um, she didn't, she was unaware of the contract that she signed with them and they canceled their orders. You know, they brought in the first round and it probably didn't hit as well as they thought it would. So they just, they just canceled it all.
0: It, It happens all the time. It's really important to read your contracts. It's really important to understand as you're scaling your wholesale business, like you might want to get really big, really fast, but it's actually better to grow a little bit more slowly and be able to slowly bring people in. Because if you get, you know, those big orders and then they cancel because you didn't fully read your contract and then you're left with this inventory, but you don't have a ton of brands that are already buying wholesale from you and you're stuck with that inventory, like that could literally put you out of business. It could,
1: yeah. And I think that's that's another way that I as a retailer have, have been successful is that I'm growing incrementally. And so yeah. there was money in the bank to do the next thing and the next thing and the next thing and then buy the building and the next thing and then open another I mean, you store. bought
0: your own building. That is,
1: I, that well, is and I it because I feel really, uh, I, my dad used to say it was my, my parents, I love them dearly. My dad's got a lot of judgment. So the first year was super judgy about me going to beauty school and, and, you know, doing eyebrow waxing and, and such. So whatever I, here I am the old mindset, the older mindset. Yeah. And then it was, I, I would come, you know, Christmas dinner sitting there and I'm like, Oh my gosh, we just had our biggest Christmas Eve ever. And so excited about it. And he would say, well, it doesn't mean anything unless you own the building did you buy this building out of uh just to prove to uh, him so listen to this (laughs) this is some irony because it it had been like you know five years earlier at Christmas Eve dinner that he told me that because I'm always you know touting my numbers so excited and and we seem to grow you know year over year so I closed on that building the day after Christmas four years ago (laughs) so it was already in in the works and yeah, uh, on Christmas That's dinner. Awesome. And I kept my mouth shut and I came to Christmas dinner and I said, so I bought the building.
0: <coughs> ah!
1: <coughs> Pour me a glass of I love it.
0: I yeah. love it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that feels really good. It's like, it's, whether you're buying the building or you're just like taking one step further in your business, it's like those little things that are just so empowering and just make you feel like you can absolutely do this. It's like, it makes all the other crap and yeah. tears and painful what? moments worth it when you're like, I just did this really cool thing and you celebrated it. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. So I want to ask you one more question about what makes brands stand out to you. So you've oh. mentioned that like quoi is what gets you really excited about products that are from the smaller brands? Like what does that mean to you for, your brand and that vision, like what stands out to you from a product perspective, but also just that interaction with a brand.
1: So there, um, how, how it's packaged, because Mm -hmm. I'm immediately thinking, how am I going to display it? Especially with, with the, with the smaller handmade goods, even ceramics, jewelry, uh, cards, do they have a, a plastic cover on them? you know, are they ready? Do they have a barcode on it or not? And that's not a a game changer by any stretch, but, um, I really, really pay attention to the packaging and in the case of um, skincare products and things like that, I want to try samples. So I'd like to receive, I'll I'll ask somebody, I'd like to know more about your product. They tell me all the the good stuff, but where the rubber hits the road, I may like everything I'm hearing. And then it comes and you're like, Ooh, this looks a little too handmade. There's apothecary that that's, that's not what I'm talking about. You can do apothecary that looks legit and, and looks Mm -hmm. elevated. Elevated. Um, or it could just not hit. It could be like, I've, I've tried some lip balms before that I was given and they feel good, but how am I going to display them? Do they have something that they're sending with that, that put the, four different colors out there that I could display? What? Mm-hmm. How am I going to do that? So I've had to walk away from things before that I really wanted because the, the company, they were not just not quite there yet. Or bigger companies mm-hmm. even that just isn't in line with, with my brand. So I don't... Yeah. I want people to be clear when they come in and I want it to be pretty.
0: Yeah, because you want it to sell. You want it to feel like it's your brand vibe. And so your customers come in and they know that they are shopping through your lens. I think it's like consumers love to feel like they have found this really cool thing and they want to not have to even realize that you've done that edit and that curation for them. (laughs) And so many times the packaging, like you can't, you or your staff, obviously it's your staff now, but they can't be there selling every single nuance item when you're full of customers in the store. So the packaging has to also That,
1: that, um, a lot of, um, our success comes from, and this is a neat thing and, and your makers could offer this too. I will ask, anybody that I'm buying from, I just started buying from an old high, uh, junior high school friend of mine, and she's got a jewelry line. And I asked her, do you have line sheets? Oh, she didn't. <laughs> and, you know, and then I was like, well, how, how are these necklaces going to come? They need to be on a little card. Damn. She went back and did the work and, sh- and she brought it and it's beautiful. And she even had her husband make some bespoke uh, display pieces to put them in, knock oh, it out awesome. of the park. But then another part of that, that I would suggest to everyone is I have, um, a, a little, um, four, a three by five, um, frame that I put the brand story on. And it's not, mm-hmm. people aren't going to sit there and read a novella, but just a blip. These are, these are made in Portland. These are made in Seattle. Mm-hmm. These are, this is an, an organic, all organic line. This is, um, you know, whatever their, their deal is that, because i I can't always be there now especially with two store yeah. telling that story. So I put yeah. the little I put the little framed piece right there and it can tell the story for for me. And it's consistent. That. So it's not it's not necessarily things from all the makers because they'll provide me with something but I'm like no I I've printed up with our little logo on the top and announce it in our font in our way. Yeah.
0: So it yeah. matches. That's I think that's such a good merchandising tip because you want your customers to know the backstory of yes, why well, you curated it. the way you did, why you yeah. bought it. And you're bringing in brands intentionally. So the makers that you're layering on all have a story and all have something interesting. And so I think that that's really awesome that you do that. So thanks for sharing yeah. sharing that. So I could ask you 9,000 more questions. <laughs> I want to ask you 9,000 more questions, but I will stop it here. But please share with everybody how they can find you, how they can shop from you and all the things, because you have such an awesome collection.
1: Uh, so our Instagram handle is Shop Vixen Collection, and uh, we're on Facebook, but I never know what that URL is. But if you look up face, on Facebook and look for Vixen Collection, you can find us. And then we are at um, vixencollection.com for our e-com site.
0: Awesome. I'll link everything out for everybody. So thank you. This thank was awesome. So I love talking to another buyer. <laughs>
1: we'll have to get together again.
0: (laughs) Yes, we will. Thank you so much. Have a good day. Thanks so much for spending some time with me today. If you are loving the show, I would be so beyond grateful if you would rate and review the podcast and share it with one of your biz besties to help spread the word. I hope that you absolutely crush your sales this week. I'll be back to chat with you next Monday.